Welcome back to another episode of Rosenballs. We've had now Labor Day weekend. I know a few days. I know many of you have already dissected this Cavs jazz trade impact on the Knicks. And I'm a little late on it, but for good reason. I just wanted to kind of let it settle in and kind of give my take on it. So let's take this from, from all angles, right? Um, first, from the Knicks. Um, did the Knicks do the right move? Did they dodge a bullet? What have you. So here's my take on it. <clears throat> first of all, you know, as reported, right, the Knicks were, were actually kind of smart about this whole process. They didn't want to bid against themselves. They just wanted to make sure they had the best offer out there. And they, and they did. R.J. Barrett, what was proposed was basically R.J. Barrett, two unprotected firsts. Um, and there's probably other minor pieces there, is a better haul than what Cleveland gave. And here's why. Let's compare both. Let's just compare that package. You're getting a guy who, I get it, he's going to you know need a signed extension. This was pre-extension signing. Um, but you look at what OKC did with the Paul George deal, right? RJ Barrett's got a chance to be that kind of player like SGA. He's a guy at least that will, you know, fans will show up to the game for. He's a nice little future piece that the team could rally around, right? And control the offense, uh, D up a bit. And also, he allows you to rebuild in a couple different ways. So he's not a guy that needs a crazy high usage that you have to build in a way like a, like a Russell Westbrook or Allen Iverson in his prime. Um, so he could definitely become a second or third guy easily. He could also transform into a lead guy, right? There's a couple different routes that he could take in his career. And, you know, much unlike the Scottie Pippen type way, he's an unselfish guy. Um, he's a pass-first player um, a lot of times in the perimeter. And, you know, his shot's improving, right? So there, there's, there's avenues to be excited there for R.J. Barrett's development if you're acquiring him in, in, a, in a rebuild effort. Um, could he go awry? Absolutely. You look at Andrew Wiggins and his current. Obviously, Andrew Wiggins has taken an uptick with Golden State, but in the Minnesota years, you could, you could argue that Barrett could fall trapped to something like that, right, where he gets a high usage, he starts, you know, um, shooting a lot in an inefficient manner and, and, and forcing the action and high turnover rate and all that, right? But if you're giving me sort of like a, let's call it a three, three prongs into what Barrett could become, where like um, the best case is, you know, I, I, w- I would say like a diet Pippin, most likely cases slightly on the SGA level. And, you know, I don't think he's worse than that Wiggins level. That, that's a good, I like that, that mix in terms of taking the risk there if I'm moving Mitchell on, on a young talent coming back. The other thing is the two unprotected picks from the Knicks, right? Like, people joke on the Knicks, people do Knicks LOL. There's no guarantee, actually, there's quite a good guarantee, that even if they acquired Mitchell, the Knicks are still flirting with a play-in. The deal would likely, obviously, is moving Barrett. It could have moved other assets. But you're having Brunson, Donovan Mitchell, which is, you know, a, a, a great offensive backcourt. But defensively, that's got concern. Uh, and then Randall, as the third guy there, can he accept such a role? There could be some, you know, uh, backlash there as well, right? So uh, you're t- dealing with a team that, that could be a play-in team really throughout the tenure of that deal, right, when you're getting those future picks. So you're looking at two picks that likely in the 
let's call it 12 to, to 16 range. Um, yeah, could it get higher, but that's a likely range, maybe 12 to 16. And if an injury happens, that could fall, right? So those are much more valuable than, than a Cleveland who, they're already in that range now without the Mitchell trade. So with the Mitchell trade, um, that pick is in the 20s. And there, there's something to be said about having too many assets, right? Ainge had this before in Boston. Uh, he stockpiled, stockpiled assets. And then you're just kind of wasting away picks on guys like Yabuselli because you can stash him. You're not getting the right talent there. And you only have a certain amount of slots you can actually develop on a roster, right? So you have 12 roster spots. But how many people actually get minutes? You know, nine, maybe 10 tops. How many people get usage? Only a couple guys in a unit. So you don't, you, it's not like if you're getting 10 picks, you're, you're going to eventually get 10 players. You're going to need to be smart about how you consolidate those. And teams are going to know that about you, that you need to consolidate those picks. So they're, they're going to ask, you know, they're going to try to squeeze it out to get more value out of you. And you're probably going to have to acquiesce as a result, right? So less is more in terms of the youthful assets. You're going to get two quality picks, and plus these protected picks, three protected picks, I believe, uh, on top of that. But the two are protected with the more valuable ones uh, as well. So I don't love, um, you know, I think that's definitely a better deal than the Cleveland deal, right? Now, look, the Jazz still did well, right? They did. Um, you know, getting Cleveland's package, or looking at it in a bit more detail, okay, Agbaji from, uh, is an interesting lotto pick, right? He's going to get minutes right away. They did need a wing, okay? Obviously, they're moving Mitchell, who's replacing him. They get a guy who, you know, mid-lotto, late-lotto. Um, not a bad guy from Kansas. And they essentially are adding two first-rounders out to the team, if you include Walker Kessler in the Minnesota deal. Three unprotected first sounds like a lot. But again, from Cleveland, they're in the 20s. What am I doing with that, right? Like, in Ages history, the best players that were selected in such a range, like, you're looking at, what, Delonte West, Tony Allen? That's on the high end, right? You're hoping for a back-end rotational talent. You're more likely to get, out of those three picks, you're lucky to get, I think, you know, one rotational piece, honestly. Out of three picks in the 20s, one rotational piece. So, it doesn't, you know, that putt doesn't bar as well, but again, like, the guy wants out. It, it, it's a big haul to give up. What I'm a big believer of, the way teams need to use picks is as follows. This is how Cleveland has used them already. Sometimes when you're taking and you need to bottom out and you get those young assets, um, you kind of start, you, your first stage is figuring out your core. Okay, who's my core? Who are the core pieces, right? And then you don't use your picks to go all in, okay? The prudent way is you figure out like a couple of needs that you have and they're mid-level veteran talent, guys like who the youth Jazz have, guys like Bogdanovich, who's been dealt for picks in the past, you use a protected pick or a pick on, on players like that that could become your 6th, 7th, 8th man in a playoff rotation, helps amplify your core, and then get to the next stage of the playoffs, and you keep building from there, right? Well, you, don't you only do the all-in move if you need to, okay? So the all-in move, again, is what I call doing the deal with the devil. It's mortgaging your entire future for uh, one player, okay? So if you're at a fork of the road moment and it's either like, okay, are we tearing this thing down or are we going for a title? Okay, then, then you, you could do that move. But there's teams in, in those situations, right? 
So it's like this core has run its course. You know, we've gone as far as we can with this core. We have some youth. Let's mortgage the youth. Let's give it one last shot. If it doesn't work, then we rebuild. So the Jazz actually kind of did that already, right? They did it with Mike Conley Jr. They did an all-in move. They traded, I think, all they exhausted pretty much all the assets they had. They had made, you know, deep runs in the, they're not really deep runs, but deep regular season runs, been good regular season teams. Having gotten deep in the playoffs, they were hoping Conley brought them over the edge. They had a chance, I think, in the playoffs a couple of years ago. Injuries happened, and they, they couldn't get it done. But that's the time you make an all-in move, right? And all-in move doesn't necessarily mean you're getting a start talent necessarily. You're just cashing in all of your future assets for, for basically one or two players that, you know, are going to, jump you from, let's call it a second round team or conference finalist team to a team that contends, okay? So Utah had done it, okay? You know, great example. Um, uh, You know, this is a great example of that, right? So you really need to be in that stage, though. You need to be like, the the core has kind of reached its, 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 its peak. I would argue, you know, Denver's kind of flirting with that stage right now, right? They've Got to the playoffs was three or four years in a row. And that's kind of the stage. Portland's another team prior to this year, a couple years ago, that was at that stage with Lillard and, and McCollum. Um, and they didn't move Simons, which they probably could have considered. And maybe the timing wasn't right. I have to look historically to really get that third piece that puts, puts them over the edge after making, I believe, the conference finals after beating Denver. Um, so the question is, like, you only really make the only when, when when you run its courts. And the reason why is... Because you've kind of, it's when your core reaches an age of like prime, right? So if your core is hitting that like pivotal, let's call it, you know, high 20s, low 30s age range, they have only a few more years of their prime, right? And then they're going to get worse, right? It's kind of like the, like the veterans don't stay good forever, right? So you, you, you need to hit your core's value at their prime. And once they're at the prime, you have to be honest with your roster. Like, can this roster continue to contend if my core players, the players in my core, the top two, three, four guys in my team, do not improve, okay? They don't improve, and they're staying as it is. Are we contending? So, like, let's look at a team like Denver now, right? Jokic is at an MVP level, okay? I don't think he's got a lot of room to grow from this point. That's fine. He's one of the best players in the league. That's okay. Depends what kind of Murray comes back. Murray, to me, seems like it'd be curious what kind of Murray comes back. Has he plateaued? Has he not? That's something you gauge, obviously. And then Porter Jr. is a question mark, right? Can you rely on him or not? And, and you can use that year, that year to do it. But again, Denver's a good example. If they fall into this four to six range again, going into the February trade deadline, and I don't know, another star becomes available. Who knows? I could give you a couple of names. SGA has been floating around. I could see issues in Chicago with Zach Levine, etc. You know, you don't have to sacrifice everybody, but do you make another move to now get that other star quality? Which they kind of did. They kind of did a mini all-in. It wasn't a big all-in with, with Aaron Gordon. Do you do that again and get a wing? Denver's a good example. But here's my point on that. Cleveland is not that team. They, they had their first licks. They did it one year, and they were young. So they're just trying to build their core. This is the start of it. You know, maybe three, four years in. If you told me three, four years down the road... Cleveland had missed the conference finals, so keep floating first, second round, first, second round team. And now, you know, Garland's older, Mobley's older, and they've hit, hit their peak. This is how good that core is going to be. And you've already gotten the carousel vert times at the deadline, which is another big part of it. 
use those picks to get those veterans that, that put you over the top, and this is still the max, then okay, then there's an all-in moment. But they didn't have that all-in moment. They did it way too early. They jumped the gun on cashing the assets. Now, you could argue back, well, Aton, hold on a second. How often is a Donovan Mitchell-type guy available? Well, in a recent past, a couple times a year. People always say that point. It's not often that they're available. They've gotten traded top 20 players, top 25 players, let's call it, a couple of times a year. You look at recently, right, the last five years alone. You got James Harden. You got, um, you know, Anthony Davis was, was floated. Um, DeMar DeRozan was, was signed for agency. Zach Levine was signed for agency as, as a big, as a big um, mover. DeJounte Murray, obviously, this past offseason. Um, Russell Westbrook was traded a big deal when he was good uh, from uh, to, to Washington, right? So every year, you do actually have a couple of players. Jimmy Butler is another one, right? Every year, you have a couple of players that are actually available, all right? It's not true. The second thing is, we need to redefine what a star means, right? And look, I am completely um, in agreement that Mitchell right now, Mitchell's a star because he was the number one scorer, the leading scorer on a good team for a while. That doesn't mean he's necessarily a, let's call it top 15 talent, okay? I keep bringing this example, and it's important to know. Tracy McGrady in his prime was easily a top three talent in the league. He's one of the most underrated players of all time. But he's never considered in all-time conversations. He never made the top 75 NBA all-time list. Partly because his team's never won. Now, the lazy analysis is just going to blame the top player. But if you look back at those teams, those teams were, were horrific. right? So Orlando was a complete um, empty roster, basically, when they were trying to uh, improve their cap situation. To go after, actually, they wanted Duncan and Grant Hill back in like 98, 99. And McGrady was a consolation prize, but because it cleared the roster, and actually that year, you know, Doc Rivers won Coach of the Year, kind of catapulted him in, in, uh, in NBA coaching circles, obviously. Um, but that team was actually underratedly good with Doc pre signing those guys, but then those guys went to other teams because they showcased themselves, right? I think Daryl Armstrong got hurt, uh, Ben Wallace was gone, Outlaw was gone, etc. And you were really left with this kind of expansion roster with McGrady and Grant Hill. Well, Grant Hill didn't play, and it was just McGrady. But McGrady took this barren roster to the playoffs year in, year out, almost upset Detroit, and then they were, they were up 3-1 in that series, and they lost it. But McGrady gets pretty much all the blame there. And when I say that, it's like, look, he's not on the top 75 list. Now, he's had injuries. I get it. And then when he goes to Houston, they're good. The West was that's probably the best Western Conference, one of the best conferences in league history when McGrady was good with Houston, and Yao Ming goes down. They still win 27-plus games in a row, something like that, in 07 or 08. I think it was 08. Um, and, and they were just a really good team, and, and it was really McGrady that, that was leading that charge. You can't blame the talent for the GM's mistakes building around him. That's not fair, right? Now, the opposite's the case with Utah, right? So, again, the point here with Trace McGrady is um, he was easily a top five talent in his prime in the league. But, you know, people aren't looking at that because the team's not winning. But because Utah's winning, Mitchell's looked at it at a great light. 
Now, in reality, the Jazz are built terrifically around Mitchell, and the proof is, and again, I hate using this as lazy on my part, but the on-off is something to look at, right? If the guy's not playing for 20-plus games and the team is still good without that player, maybe the rest of the team is good, okay? And it's not just that player. Now, I'm not saying the player is bad or not. So they happened with Memphis, right? Memphis had a 20-plus game streak this past year where they were still playing like a number one seed, number two seed, without John Morant. Now, now John Morant's still progressing as a player. That's not a knock on Morant, but does that mean that maybe we're a little overrating him? It could be. It could, honestly, right? You look at, compared it to Chris Paul. The Suns are an, a 500 team without Chris Paul. And they're a number one seed with Chris Paul. So obviously Chris Paul's doing something, okay? It's not always on off. Those are the fastest that they bring to the game. But again, the point is winning here. Do they lead to winning? It's not just a star to get a star. This isn't a PR stunt, okay? Sure, Mitchell's more aesthetically pleasing than other players, but does he lead you to a lot more wins than what else you could get for that? those assets? No. So I, I don't think, uh, on the Cavs' part, I don't know if he adds as much as they think he does. And I think a guy like, let's just say SGA as an example, even though he's not a shooter and I get they need shooting and all that, um, could have been available. Zach Levine's another one for far less. Other players would have been available. We don't know. But there's always someone. And Cleveland would have been smarter. You give it another year. Let's see what this core really is. Let's let other guys develop. Maybe they increase value. And then just get the veterans that get you over the road. You don't need to get Mitchell. Use a protected pick. You could even use Akjabi if you wanted to trade him. And get, improve at the shooting guard at the deadline with another veteran who, who ultimately would have been available. Okay, so, um, you know, it's, uh, I get why Cleveland did it. They, 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 they made the jump now, but that, that's my take on why they, they could have waited. Now, New York, New York now needs to decide. They had a, sort of this fork of the road moment that they think it is. I think New York needs to rebuild. They're not there yet. They don't even know what their core is. And the fourth seed a couple of years ago is the thing that hurt them the most. So... Look, if the Knicks, um, if they could get off of Randall, they're in fine shape. Now they'll increase usage with their, all their youth and develop the right way. They're not even at the stage that Cleveland is because they don't even know their core. They have a few. Barrett is probably the one. You need to find two more. We need to find out about Obi Toppin, Quentin Grimes, and how quickly in Cam Reddish, right? That youth. We don't know the answer. But if you remove Randall, now the minutes come in and the usage comes in, and now you can figure out their answer, and hopefully you can build the court. If, and if you don't, here's the beauty. If you don't, you can probably get another piece in the draft, because if they're not in the court and they're actually kind of bad, they'll be bad enough to get a good pick. The way you build in the NBA is that's the stages you got to go. you got to first get your core together. And honestly, the best way is building through the draft. Okay, There's four ways to improve your roster. It's draft, trade, free agency, just organic development. But the stages that make the most sense is going to be draft, draft well, right? You got to draft in the top five. You can't rebuild 10 to 15. Indiana has done a good job for years, but they never won a title, okay? You got to get those stars in the draft, but then you have to actually build cores around them, then use future picks to then get, when they're ready, to get the right veterans, and then we're ready to cash in, you cash in. Too early for Cleveland, nice dodge by New York. Jazz did well. They screwed themselves by, by, uh, just not taking the Nick offer. We'll speak to everybody soon.